0: That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. Welcome to the First Pitch
1: Podcast, brought to you by PitcherList.com, your daily morning podcast, updating you on everything you need to know to win your fantasy baseball league. Here's your host, Jake Crumpler. What's up, fellow fantasy managers? Welcome back to another episode of the First Pitch Podcast, brought to you by PitcherList.com. My name is Jake Crumpler, and it's the weekend, so as always, I'll be taking over for Bubba as the host of the weekend editions of the podcast. You can follow me, at Jake Crumpler, on Twitter, and can find all of my work at CrumplerBaseball.com. Let's dive into everything baseball-related from Friday, June 9th. We'll start it off, as always, with the transactions, injuries, news, and notes from around the league, starting with our IL placements. First baseman Pete Alonzo of the New York Mets was placed on the 10-day IL with a left wrist bone bruise and sprain. The Mets will be without MLB's home run leader for quite a while. The slugger was hit in the wrist on Thursday and will hit the IL pretty much immediately. The timeline for his return is three to four weeks, so it will be longer than a minimum stay for Alonzo. Mark Canna will see more time at first base to accommodate Alonzo's absence, and that's allow other guys to get in the lineup as well. We also had another big slugger hit the IL as outfielder Jordan Alvarez hit the 10-day IL with a right oblique strain. Alvarez left Thursday's game and it was determined to be serious enough to land him on the IL. Oblique injuries generally have around a 30 to 60-day timeline for returns, so Alvarez is likely set for an extended absence. Yainer Diaz and Mauricio Dubon are guaranteed more playing time with the DH role freed up in Houston. Lastly, starting pitcher Graham Ashcraft of the Reds was placed on the 15-day IL with a left calf contusion. The right-hander was hit in the leg by a comebacker, forcing him to leave his start in the third inning. After a hot start to the season for Ashcraft, in which he pitched to a 2 ERA across his first 36 frames, Ashcraft has fallen apart dramatically with a 12.72 ERA across his last 29 innings pitched. His true talent level is probably somewhere between those two numbers, but the precipitous fall-off cannot be ignored. Maybe a break will give him a chance to get him back on track. In terms of transactions, relief pitcher Jose Alvarado of the Phillies was activated from the 15-day IL, he missed a month with left elbow inflammation, but prior to the injury, he was arguably the best reliever in baseball. He pitched to a 0.63 ERA across 14 in the third innings with 24 strikeouts to no walks. It'll be interesting to see if Alvarado can maintain that same level of control, but he already walked his first batter of the season in his return. It's sort of uncertain if he'll be the full-time closer in Philadelphia with Craig Kimbrell having had so much success in Alvarado absence, but Alvarado will factor into at least a third of the save opportunities and should be universally rostered with how he's been pitching this year. Other relief pitcher news, Anthony Bass of the Blue Jays was designated for assignment. This Bass has been the subject of plenty of controversy this season and was rightfully removed from the 40-man roster after pitching to a 4.95 ERA in 20 innings this season. Outfielder Adam Duvall was reinstated from the 10-day IL for the Red Sox. He got off to the hottest start in the majors, batting 455 with four homers and a 313 WRC plus through his first eight games. And then he fractured his left wrist. It's been about two months, but he's back and he batted fifth in his return for the Red Sox. I don't think that eight game sample should alter what we previously thought of Duvall. He's sort of a guy with a lot of swing and miss and a lot of pop. You'll have hot streaks followed by extended cold streaks, ultimately resulting in like a league average hitter with a low batting average, but plenty of power if he gets playing time. Other Red Sox news, starting pitcher Chris Sale was transferred to the 60 day IL, the South has a stress reaction in his shoulder blade it'll be three to four weeks until the next steps are determined and with that movement to the 60 day il the earliest sale can return is august 2nd so it'll be nearly two months until we see sale on a major league mound again and lastly outfielder dylan carlson was activated from the 10 day il for the cardinals he missed nearly a month with a sprained left ankle carlson wasn't really hitting prior to that and was seeing diminished playing time prior to the injury but they're also seeing other injuries in the outfield. So so he may still get some playing time. Carlson still maintains some of the hype from his 2021 breakout and his prospect pedigree prior to that, but he'll need to perform if he wants to maintain a spot in the outfield when Lars Newbar and Tyler O'Neill return from injuries as well. In terms of news, starting pitcher Julio Urias of the Dodgers will not start tomorrow. His hamstring is still bothering him, and his return is still to be determined. Starting pitcher Cole Irvin will start today for the Orioles. Outfielder Eloy Jimenez of the White Sox will sit for four to five days as he's dealing with a calf injury and the team looks to avoid an IL stint. Jake Berger and Gavin Sheets will see more at-bats during that time. Starting pitcher Vince Velasquez, unfortunately, is done for the season after undergoing elbow surgery. And lastly, relief pitcher Pierce Johnson of the Rockies has officially been removed from the closer role it looked like last week that he was done for but now we got the word from the manager bud black suggested justin lawrence and jake bird as names that could take over in johnson's place now we'll take a look at the notable performances from friday a day in which we had 15 games we'll start it off with our hitters leading off with isak paredes for the rays in a win over the rangers he went three for four hitting two home runs scoring twice with a double as well he had knocked in six runs and is now up to to 44 RBI on the year. Both of his home runs had exit velocities over 100 miles per hour, and Paredes is following up last year's breakout wonderfully. He's become more aggressive at the plate, cutting his walk rate by 4%, but that hasn't resulted in many more whiffs. It has, however, resulted in more balls in play and success in such events. By WRC+, he's having a significantly better campaign than last year, and with the two home runs today, he's up to 11 on the season. He continues to be a batter that reaches his power by pulling all of his fly balls. So despite significantly outperforming his expected numbers, he'll continue to find success because of that approach. Batting in the middle of the lineup every day for the race should provide Paredes with plenty of run producing opportunities as he attained 20 home runs for the second year in a row. Corbin Carroll of the Diamondbacks helped his team to a win in Detroit going three for five with two home runs of his own. He scored twice and hit a double while knocking in five runs. Both home runs were wall scrapers, but they count all the same. For Carroll, I would say forget rookie of the year. Carroll is an NL MVP candidate. He's currently second in the National League in OPS, trailing only Freddie Freeman, and he's paired that with 13 home runs and 18 stolen bases. Last year's debut was electric, but somehow Carroll has improved across the board. His plate discipline and batted ball metrics have all seen improvement and have resulted in video game numbers in every facet of the game. He's one of the best outfield options in fantasy baseball at the moment and should be for years to come. Still just 22 years old, Carroll still has room to grow, and it's scary to think of what he might become in due time. Cabrian Hayes of the The Pirates helped his team to a win versus the Mets going a perfect five for five, scoring three times, hitting two doubles with four runs batted in and adding in a steal for good measure. He's up to seven steals now on the year. The perfect day also added 16 points to Hayes' batting average to bring him up to 266 on the year, which would be his highest mark since his debut campaign in 2020. It's been a long three years of awaiting Hayes' offensive breakout, and while it hasn't come in full this year, I think we're seeing glimpses of a new level. He strikes out just 16.5% of the time, which is a career low by a good margin. He's also barreling the ball more than ever, resulting in his highest slugging percentage since 2020. He's now just three home runs shy of his career high in that department as well. And even with all of those positives, the most promising development has been a greatly increased fly ball rate. That was the one thing we've been looking for from Hayes. Ground balls have always held Hayes back from reaching his full power potential, sort of in a similar fashion to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And up almost 10% in that department. Department this year this summer might finally bring the Hayes breakout we've been waiting a couple of years for if not he'll at least provide the highly coveted steals that we all hope for in fantasy baseball jake rogers of the tigers had a big day and a loss versus the diamondbacks going three for four with a pair of homers scoring twice with two rbis he's up to eight dingers on the year and even after the big day rogers is still batting just 171 while he's got plenty of juice in his bat it comes with a ton of strikeouts he's striking out 36.7 percent of the time this year and that ultimately caps his batting average ceiling. His overall ceiling is also capped because he's splitting time behind the plate with Eric Haas in a pretty weak Tigers lineup. The big day was impressive, but Rodgers won't be fantasy viable in all but the deepest of two catcher leagues. And lastly, Leody Tavares in a loss versus the Rays went two for two, scoring twice with a pair of home runs and two RBIs and a walk as well. He's up to five home runs on the season now. His second home run was the most impressive of the two. It traveled 427 feet with a 108.7 mile per hour exit velocity and there was Plenty of hype surrounding Tavares' arrival in the majors back in 2020, but it's taken him a while to claim a consistent role in Texas because of injuries and strikeout issues. But he's found a home in center field this year. He's playing every day, but he's batting at the bottom of the order, usually ninth. But nonetheless, he hasn't let that stop him from finally controlling his swing and miss problems. And that's resulted in him hitting better than ever. His stat cast numbers won't blow you out of the water, but with intriguing power and speed numbers and the best lineup in baseball, he's a must roster in 15 team leagues and some 12 teams while his bat is on fire. But if you'd like a breakdown of the notable hitting performances from Friday's games, make sure to check out the daily batter's box article over on pitcherlist.com. Now we'll head to the mound and look at the notable starting pitching performances opening with Luis Castillo in Anaheim. As he took home the tough luck loss, allowing six hits and five runs, three earned across six innings pitched with one walk and 10 strikeouts. He had 26 whiffs with a 35% CSW. Those 26 whiffs earned him the gallows pull as he led the majors in that department on Friday. His fastball was zoom in on Friday. It racked up a whopping 20 whiffs while going for 38% CSW. The only problem was that his other pitches didn't have the same amount of success. It led to a couple of home runs and two unearned runs on his ledger due to a fielding error regardless, it was a great start and Castillo is quietly having a Cy Young caliber campaign with a 2.70 ERA, a sub one whip, and a career best 30% strikeout rate. With an electric heater and two reliable secondaries in his slider and changeup, Castillo has the recipe for sustained success and he'll look to continue that success in his next outing versus the Marlins. Elsewhere, Garrett Whitlock took home the win in the Bronx as he tossed six and a third innings, allowing just seven hits and two runs. One of them earned with a walk and six strikeouts. He racked up 18 whiffs with a 39% CSW on the day which earned him the King Cole as the highest mark among starting pitchers. His new sweeper was unhittable in this one racking up 10 whiffs and a bonker 62% CSW while his changeup wasn't too shabby as well with 7 whiffs and 53% CSW of its own. Whitlock's first full season in the rotation has already been marred by an injury that held him out of action for more than a month. He sort of got off to a slow start with alternating good and poor performances as well but he set a good foundation for success with a that can get called strikes and grounders, and two secondaries that are both equally effective. I believe he'll be a pitcher you want to roster throughout the year now that he's stretched out, though he may be more of a points league specialist as he's not a big strikeout guy and doesn't have the same durability as other inning-eating Tobies. but I'll be streaming him where he's available in his next start as he gets set to host the Rockies next week. And lastly, we have Jordan Montgomery versus the Reds as he took home the win, tossing six scoreless innings, allowing just three hits and one walk while striking out six. He had 14 whiffs and a 35% CSW in this one. Montgomery found success with sinker called strikes and change up whiffs, which can be successful on any given night, but aren't generally sustainable. It's somewhat interesting that he's transformed into a pitcher that relies heavily on those two pitches because his bread and butter used to be his curveball. That pitch hasn't been as successful in 2023 as it has been the past couple of years. And while Montgomery has been pretty successful overall this year, his underlying metrics are somewhat underwhelming. He doesn't stand out in any one department and his 1.33 whip is actively hurting you while his sub-22% strikeout rate makes him more of a Toby. There's hope that if he figures out his repertoire a little bit, he could inspire the hype that accompanied his arrival in St. Louis last year, but right now he's not someone I'm overly excited about starting in his next start versus the Giants. But if you'd like a breakdown of every single start from Friday, give the Plus Pitch podcast a listen and check out Nick's daily starting pitcher roundup over on pitcherlist.com. Now we'll head to the bullpen and look at the relievers that got saves and the closers that pitched outside of save situations or blew their saves. For the guys that got saves, we saw outbear Alzale earn his third save, which ties Mark Leiter for the team lead. Leiter pitched the eighth inning in that one, so it's interesting to see who's the closer there. Trevor May also got a save. It was just his second. We also saw Josh Hader, Kenley Jansen, Felix Bautista, and Rysel Iglesias all earn saves, as well as Carlos Estevez, who's up to 17 on the year now. And lastly, Giovanni Gallegos earned his eighth, which right now looks like it's a legit 50-50 split with Ryan Helsley over in St. Louis, in terms of our closers to pitch outside of save situations or blow their saves, David Bednar pitched in a weird situation. The Mets began to mount a comeback in the ninth inning against the previous reliever, but they called on Bednar with an 11-run lead to make sure that comeback wasn't successful, but... It can also be seen as a maintenance outing as Bednar hadn't pitched since Sunday. Miguel Castro somehow also pitched in the same situation. It was only a six run lead, but he was also coming in to prevent a comeback and hadn't pitched since last Sunday. Johan Duran also earned a win after pitching the final two innings of a 10 inning game. Ryan Presley blew a save in the ninth in a game that wound up going 14 innings in Cleveland. Emmanuel Class pitched in that one as well as he tossed a scoreless 10th in that game. Kyle Finnegan blew the lead in the eighth inning for the Nationals as he had pitched in a week, and Liam Hendricks earned the win when the White Sox walked it off after his perfect ninth inning. But if you'd like a rundown of the notable relief pitching performances on Friday, make sure to give the Reliever Ranks article a read over on pitcherlist.com. Saturday's edition was written by yours truly. Before we look forward to today, we're going to take a quick break.
0: Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss.
1: Now we'll send it over to the wonderful Mark Paquette with the weather. Thank you very much, Jake. Well, looking at today's schedule, we're going to have one game to keep an eye on in terms of weather, and that's going to be the Rockies as some showers and thunderstorms are going to be lined up just along and ahead of the front range of the Rocky Mountains. just have to see how far east they drift and if they get over Coors Field. I don't think it's going to be a huge problem, but like I said, let's keep an eye on it. Back to you. Thanks, Mark. Now we'll look forward to Saturday, June 10th, a day in which we'll have a full slate of 15 games. My matchup of the day is Aaron Nola versus Bobby Miller as we have a ace versus a future ace. Both of these guys are very fun to watch on any given night. Bobby Miller's arrival has been electric. In terms of probable starters, we've got five guys in the auto start tier, including both Nola and Miller. We also have Sandy Alcantara on the south side of Chicago, Nathan Iovaldi in Tampa Bay, and Joe Ryan in Canada. Our probably starts tier has six guys, and that's where we'll find our streamer of the day in JP France in Cleveland. He should be able to make this work as long as Jose Ramirez doesn't take him deep a few times. I'd also keep an eye out for Andrew Abbott in St. Louis if he's available in your league. He's got really great stuff and was a top prospect in the minors before his debut recently. And I'd also keep an eye out for Jared Schuster as he takes on the Nationals. He hasn't been incredible this year, but the Nationals lineup isn't scary and Schuster does have the potential to make this a successful outing. In terms of hitter suggestions, I would look at Padres and Rockies hitters in Coors. It's a lefty-heavy lineup in San Diego, but Haseon Kim could be an option if available in your league versus the left-hander Cal Freeland. Also, if you need a stream at catcher Gary Sanchez has been on fire recently. For the Rockies, Brenton Doyle, Randall Gritchick, and Ezekiel Tovar are all options versus the Southpaw Ryan Weathers. Now we'll close it out with our relievers to watch. Felix Bautista has pitched on back-to-back days and in three of the last four, but so has setup man Yenye Cano. so Brian Baker would seem to be the next man up for the Orioles. Carlos Estevez has pitched on consecutive days and in three of the last four as well. So Chris Davensky should be the temporary closer for the Angels today. And Ryzel Iglesias has pitched on the same schedule as those last two pitchers, back-to-back and three of the last four. So Nick Anderson or AJ Minter will pitch the ninth, depending on matchups on Saturday. And lastly, Adbert Alzalea has pitched each of the last two days, so we'll likely see Mark Leiter Jr. pitch a save situation today for the Cubs. But that'll do it for today's episode of the First Pitch Podcast. Make sure to head on over to PitcherList.com to check out all the great articles and features we have have on the site including fantastic player pages and daily dfs suggestions join pl pro to gain access to the discord to interact with pitcherless staff such as myself and members of the community as well as to utilize the in-season tools to help you win your leagues that'll wrap up this edition of the podcast you can follow me on twitter at jake crumpler tune in tomorrow and every day for a new installment of the podcast and make sure to enjoy the day as we are blessed with another day of baseball